0: We're gonna get guys in the field they are gonna be hungry to win a game. We're gonna be close as a group, and we're gonna fight and give every single thing we have to, to win this game.
1: There's no doubt within this team, uh, we're a confident bunch of guys. We know that we're a good enough team to go in tomorrow and to get three points. That's, that's, that's it, that's our, that's our mindset. Uh, we're going in to win the game, and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to fight though. Nothing's gonna be easy, we know that, and that's how these games are, but um, we have no excuses, and we're gonna go and, and try to win the game tomorrow.
2: This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Scalarseb, and it is Wednesday. It is Judgment Day for the U.S. men's national team as they take on Honduras in the last of their September World Cup qualifiers. And it is their last chance to get a win, to get their World Cup qualifying campaign in order. Because right now, It feels like it's in a little bit of disarray. Uh, And I know that's a little bit of an understatement. Two points from two matches, and I can feel it already. I can feel the anxiety in the U.S. soccer fan base. American soccer fans are not happy. They're nervous. They're worried. They're scared. They're angry. Some are angry because the U.S. has yet to get a win. And we haven't talked about U.S.-Canada. This is our first chance to uh, go back and discuss the 1-1 draw on Sunday. Alfonso Davies is uh, living living in the nightmares of some U.S. defenders still to this day after what he did in that match. But the U.S. did get a point. And obviously when you're at home, you're supposed to get the three points. But Canada, I have to say, and I said it before qualifying began, Canada's going to be a handful. They're my pick to be a top three team in CONCACAF qualifying. But really, the U.S. paid the price for the draw in El Salvador, a game they absolutely could have and should have won. And what happens? You don't get those points. So then you, when you do drop points at home, you feel it even more. And now you only have two points. And the only good news and the only silver lining is the fact that there's, only, there's like a five-way tie on, on, on two points. There's ties all over, draws all over. El Salvador, two, two draws. Honduras, two draws. Canada, two draws. I mean, the only team really hurting right now is Jamaica. Jamaica is really hurting right now. Two losses. Things not going so well for the reggae boys. But back to the US, is it time to panic? And I you know, I've already I see the comments and without fail, it it, it was it, it was always gonna be that if the US got got off to a slow start, you would get you'd get a certain segment of the fan base that would come back out of the woodwork to start screaming about firing Greg Berhalter. That's already started. Totally get it. But I feel the, the real concern, and it's understandable. And it's, you know, you get why that is, because it was only, what, four years ago that the U.S. didn't win in their first two games. And what happened? They ended up not qualifying for the World Cup. And Greg Berhalter, he knows, he knows fans are nervous. And he's not going to try to uh, sugarcoat it. He, he, to- he gets why U.S. fans are nervous.
0: If I'm a fan, I- I'm not happy with two points after two games um i'm not you know and i can understand um frustration i think that's completely normal but you have to look at the big picture you know this is a marathon it's not a sprint you don't qualify in one window um you know, there's five separate windows that you get a chance to, to qualify for and um you know i can see it being you know just memories of, of the past memories of, of last qualifying round coming back and people saying oh we're in the same situation i can understand that completely what I'd say is this is a different group, and um, we're focused on on winning games. We're focused on getting points. And, um, you know, the thing is we haven't lost a game in qualifying. Sometimes you have to remind people that, you know, that we haven't lost a game yet. We know these games are difficult, and we're focused on um, getting another result on Wednesday.
2: Now, obviously, Greg Berholtz is going to uh, keep a positive spin on, on the start of qualifying. Two draws. And I got. I have to say that in the post-match press conference after the Canada draw, at what point he said that he said we're undefeated. <laughs> and when he said that, I cringed a little bit because I'm like, really? I don't know if you want to call yourself. I, I mean, literally, you are. But mm, it's it, it, that's not what that phrase is meant to be used as. When you when you when you have had two matches and you didn't you haven't won either. Undefeated con- is is like. It's like the connotation of undefeated is like you're like dominating, that you're untouchable. Like no, you're very. This team is very touchable. This team has two draws, and 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 has yet to play Mexico. So let's put things in perspective a bit. U.S. Canada, going back to that game. Obviously, we're gonna get into U.S. Honduras. I'm gonna give you all you could ask for in terms of breaking down U.S. versus Honduras. Because I tell you folks, I've been doing my homework, and obviously part of my job working with CBS Sports Network is getting all the information for the crew, for the boys, Clint Dempsey, Moe Du, Charlie Davies, Nico Cantor, all the, all the whole crew, keeping them informed on everything, all things U.S. Honduras and all things CONCACAF qualifying because, in case you missed it, and you should know by now, CBS Sports and Paramount Plus is the home for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. And, th- you know, you're talking about all the matches, not just U.S. You have Mexico. All eight teams in the octagonal. If you want to watch their games, you should already have Paramount Plus, and you should be watching CBS Sports Network. U.S., Canada, and uh, yes, the U.S. did create some chances. Yes, they did score a nice goal, but it was a roller coaster ride, and it was a roller coaster ride thanks to Alfonso Davies and Tajon Buchanan and Canada's really effective counterattack. And I have to give credit to John Herdman. The Canadian coach, he did a great job with a very simple but effective game plan to keep numbers back, play your five in the back, play your five-four-one, and boot balls forward and let your speed run onto it, let your speed get on top of the American defenders. And I gotta say, it worked to a T. Now, obviously, the last time the U.S. played Canada in uh with the full strength teams in 2019, Serginho Dest got the better of Alphonso Davies. Well, folks, the Bayern Munich speedster got his revenge on Sunday. He definitely uh, ran Sergio Desk ragged. Actually, he ran him out of his, uh, out of his ankle bones because he suffered an injury. He had to come out uh, before halftime and now he's out for the, for the Honduras game. So Des comes out and then DeAndre Yedlin comes in and he gets torched even worse. He actually gets torched on the one goal that Canada did score and by rights, they, they could have had two or three. I mean, Davies when he torched Des to Tajan Buchanan when he torched John Brooks. Those situations absolutely could have and should have led to goals, but they didn't. And luckily for the U.S., they got away with the one point. They got away with the draw. And they did have chances. They decree a couple of chances, but I would hardly say it was an attacking display. It was an d- attacking showcase, but we'll get to the attack later on. First, we have to get into the struggles of the defense. And look, no one should be surprised. Serginho Dest would struggle against Alfonso Davies or DeAndre Yedlin would struggle with Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies is one of those fastest, most dangerous players, left sided players for sure, in the world. When he comes at you at pace, you better just start turn around and run. <laughs> like don't even wait. And uh and then obviously again, credit to John Herdman. So he has this collection of attacking options, right? Canada's pretty deep in the attack. You've got Jonathan David, Junior Hoylet, Fonzo Davies, Tate John Buchanan. And you know, when you're, when you're thinking about deploying that, all those attackers, I mean, you, you would think you just put them all on the field and just go at people, but I'll give John Herdman credit. He actually took Tate John Buchanan and Jonathan David and put them on the bench to start the match set up his defensive setup, went with Kyle Heron, with Alfonso Davies and Junior Hoylett to lead his attack, along with obviously Mark Anthony Kaye and, and, and Steven Ustakio. And that was enough. Counterattacking with that setup was enough to create dangerous chances. And then guess what happens? They wear down the U.S. defense. They terrorize them for 60 minutes, 65 minutes. And then you bring in uh, arrested Davies. and I mean, arrested Jonathan David and arrested Tate John Buchanan. And what happens? Chances. Tate John Buchanan running John Brooks ragged. Apparently John Brooks didn't get the memo that look, Tate John Buchanan is pretty quick. You don't want to run up on Tate John Buchanan and not expect him to run right by you. Much less when you are six foot four and not the fleetest of foot in terms of center backs. It wasn't John Brooks' best day. And it was a little surprising, I have to say, because he, you know, he's, he's been, he's put together a nice run of form for the national team. But we have seen in the past him have occasionally have games that, where he struggled. And this was one of them. This wasn't as bad as Costa Rica World Cup qualifier 2016. It wasn't that bad. If it would have been that bad, it would have been ugly. That's one of the worst games of all time in the history of the U.S. men's national team for a defender. It wasn't that bad, but it was worse than I think anyone would have expected for Brooks, given his form for his club, Wolf, Wolfsburg. He has been outstanding, but he struggled. And to to his credit, to be fair to Brooks, he had a lot of responsibility in terms of possession, in terms of being the orchestrator in the back. He had he had the mo- I'm pretty sure he had the most touches, the most passes. But you make your money on defense and defense and and his defending was not up to par. And Miles Robinson, look, he. For the most part, had a good game, but I'm not going to let him off the hook on the Canada goal because when you watch the goal, right, there were multiple breakdowns on this goal. Number one, DeAndre Yedlin gets torched by by uh, Alphonso Davies on the wing. Number one, number two, as Davies gets the corner on Yedlin, Miles Robinson's coming over. He has to block the cross. He has to either block the cross, step to Davies, create a barrier. And that's what John Brooks was expecting. John Brooks saw Miles Robinson heading that way and figures he has the cross. He's going to block this cross if it's a tight on the line cross. So John Brooks checked his run. He didn't keep running with Kyle Aaron. And you can, we can call that a mistake if we want. But I, in watching the replay, I saw the logic. I saw what John Brooks saw and why he did what he did. Because initially, the first time I saw it, I said, why in the heck did he stop running? Why did he stop at the six? When Laren kept going, but then I watched the replay. You watch where Miles Robinson is, and you understand. Okay, Brooks, next level. He sees Robinson should crawl, be able to block that area, and Brooks checks his tr- his marking because th- he can cover the the area above the six yard box in case Laren checks his run. But obviously, Laren didn't check his run. He kept running to the back post perfect Davies cross Miles Robinson did not block it Miles Robinson gets some of the blame for that so you, it's three all three and usually when it comes to goals like that it's not just one player there'll be one player people remember the most because you yeah, you know when you get somebody just blowing by you like that people are going to remember that but there were other breakdowns on that one. It to going on a whole tangent about that, but I, I just, you know, I wanted to maybe try to give, offer a little explanation as far as Brooks, because like, he did have a rough game, but on that one, I could kind of see what he was thinking on it. But the defense, not a great day. Not a great day for the defense. Uh, but ju- in terms of the attack, uh, I didn't think it was that great. Jordan Peefock got the start at striker. He, he was involved in the buildup on the one goal. He didn't score a goal. He didn't really have many chances to speak of. His expected goals is pretty small. But was it enough to keep the job? And I know some U.S. fans are going to say, well, if not him, then Pepe. We don't want any more Josh Sargent. No, thank you. I get that. I hear that. I know it's already a thing. You have people that want no more Josh Sargent. And it's kind of, for me, I'm sorry. I think it's premature. I think he'll get the chance against Honduras. I think he starts against Hond- against Honduras, actually. But I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it. I really think the attack needs work. And, you know, I I actually asked Greg Berhalter about it on Tuesday. Berhalter seemed to defend the attack, although he acknowledged it needs to get better. As far as the attack goes, obviously, there's been the struggle to create chances. Part of that is teams setting up with numbers behind the ball. But when you look at these games, how much of that, how much are you seeing it simply being that? And how much is it? Uh, maybe you need to change things tactically. Have you looked at it and said, maybe, "Maybe there's some things we need to do"? What What are you seeing when you see your attack not creating chances? I,
0: I think there's I think there's a couple things. You know, the first thing is that our expected goals in the game against Canada were pretty high, right? For for to categorize it as not creating chances. International games are difficult. There's not a lot of chances to be had. Um, we created enough chances um, to score goals in that game, and you know, I, I think having said that there's always room for improvement and and when i look at the execution um against a, a compact uh, back line a compact team uh, against canada we could have been better you know instead of moving the ball side to side slowly we should have been trying to break lines we should have been trying to draw their back line trying to get behind their back line we could have been more accurate with their diagonal passing we could have got more cross, quicker crosses in all these things, when, you, when we got crosses in, we were, we were disrupting their back line. They, they, they had a really difficult time dealing with that. We just didn't do it enough. So um, some of it I'll put down to execution. Some of it I'll put down to um, you know, the opponent being
2: very compact. Uh, but we, we certainly want to improve. Well, Christian Pulisic also defended the attack in the sense that he believes that, he, that there is the talent there to create chances and to find goals.
1: We have good attacking players. It's not something that we're we need to be concerned about or look into ways. You know, look into too much. Obviously, there's slight things that we can do. We've watched video. There's um, certain adjustments that we're you know we'll try to make just to make it flow a bit better. But in the end, you know we know we know how to play, and um, yeah, it's our job to go out there and uh, and uh, create chances and, and score goals.
2: Now I got to I got to give uh, Christian Pulisic credit because I you know for him to come back from COVID and not having not having played in what two more than two weeks to go the full ninety and really be a handful of the whole match and really be active and really just have good energy and good just cont- you know persistence in the attack I, I was impressed I, he impressed me a lot and he's obviously going to be important against Honduras he we know that. You know, the, the Honduran defense is very organized. The Honduran defense is not going to give away much. And they're definitely going to look to get physical with Pulisic, as we saw Canada do. But Berhalter, you know, just in terms of, as far as Burhalter is concerned, he knows that the team needs to get Pulisic involved, and that is definitely part of the plan on Wednesday. Now, one of the bright spots I did want to touch on was Anthony Robinson. I mean, here's a guy who at one point I still remember before the 2019 Gold Cup, when he pretty much auditioned for a spot on the Gold Cup roster, they played Jamaica in a friendly at the Audi Field. He didn't do well. He didn't play well, and basically that was his chance, and he didn't get it. And at that point, it really felt like there had been this sense for a while that maybe is not a fan of Robinson. He doesn't rate Robinson. And whether or not that was the case then, I think it's safe to say now Robinson has won him over. And his performance against Canada has only served to strengthen that. He, I mean, not only did he get the assist on the lone goal, great cross, but he was very solid defensively. And when you talk about a natural left back with his level of athleticism, his ability to get up and down, like it's his job. Apologies to George Bello. apologies to Sam Vines, apologies to Sergio Dest. Although at this point, the Dest left back experiment should be put to bed. Because it's just, he, I don't know, when he's on the left, he just thinks he's there to party. He, he just thinks he's there to, you know, uh, you know, spin dribble and, and and pull tricks and, you know, defense defending optional when Serginho Dest plays left back. But Robinson absolutely looks like your guy. And I'm not saying he's going to start every single World Cup qualifier from here on out, but right now he's number one on the depth chart, and it's a pretty solid number one. And if that's the case, then obviously that means Dest is your right back, if and when he's healthy. And I I know there's already some people who want to question Serginio Dest. And want to question, is he good enough? And I'm sorry, in my opinion, that's crazy talk. Him struggling against Alfonso Davies does not mean the other five or six right backs on the depth chart that are pretty good players would not also struggle against Alfonso Davies. That's I, I, it. Just drives me nuts sometimes that people want to just make the leap and just assume. Well, this guy struggled, so clearly someone else would not have struggled, and it's a, it's just dumb logic. But he's still a super talented player. He can still create. He can still do things that no other player, no other right back can do in the U.S. pool. Very few in the world, to be honest. So he still has a part to play. This wasn't his finest hour. It wasn't his finest window by any means. He He was bad against El Salvador. He wasn't great against Canada. So you know what? I get it. I get why people would be down on him. But you can't forget the entire, like him, the whole year, him being a starter at Barcelona. You can't forget his, the past, the good performances that we've seen him have. Like that Nations League win against uh, Canada in Orlando when he absolutely shut down Alfonso Davies and created chances, got forward. He was like the, it was like the dream performance for a right back. He can do that. He can still give you that. So anyone wanting to throw dust out already, settle down, folks. Bad September. He had a bad September. And guess what? He's not the only one. I mean, at least he got to play more than one match. And speaking of Weston McKinney, what in the hell? From the, I did not see that coming department, Weston McKinney suspended for the two World Cup qualifiers with the one against Canada and Wednesdays against Honduras. And for those who have been under a rock And I can't imagine you're listening to this show and you don't already know what happened. But in case, in case you didn't, Weston McKinney was kicked off the team, sent back to Italy for violating team COVID protocols, reportedly. Well, that that part, the team announced. However, ESPN reported on Tuesday that the violation that took place was Weston McKinney going out in Nashville And then bringing a "quote unquote" guest back to the team hotel, and the reason that's an issue is because the team is quarantined. Basically, the team, the team is in a bubble where they're not supposed to go out, and it's not just the players. It's players, it's staff. They're not supposed to go out and be around other people. They're supposed to stay in. I mean, I I think they. I'm pretty sure they can go out if they're going to go like jogging, as apparently Greg Berhalter did but it's one thing to run around and not be near people and going out and hanging out whether a bar, a restaurant, wherever, wherever West M. McKinney went, he went out, which is not supposed to do. Number one. And then he brought somebody back to the hotel. Number two, two violations. Burhalter had to make a decision. And I think it's a pretty clear one. And I can say right now, it's it, it, Berhalter has not, is not second guessing the decision it's as far as he's concerned it's the decision he had to make
0: when when you talk about um you know team policies and and team rules and um what we're trying to accomplish as a team the team absolutely comes first and we made this decision um you know not only for the short term but for the long term health of the program and it's not an easy decision trust me um, countless coaches are faced with decisions where you know they have to take talented players out of the lineup for some reason or another but we did it um, for what we think is, is the good of the group and good of the team. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Well, obviously, we're going to be mess- missing Weston for Wednesday. Um, but it doesn't rule him out for the future. But we know we're going to be without him on Wednesday. So what
2: do we make of Weston McKinney? What, where do we go with Weston McKinney now? Because this, this I mean... It's just the timing of it and it's so bad it's just and you know what you can chalk it up to just youthful uh stupidity or maybe just thinking it wasn't a big deal because look we don't know the specifics because it's easy when you don't have the full details to 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 kind of really put it in the full context because it, it, no matter the context the facts are He violated these rules and you can argue whether they should have these rules. You can argue whether they should even play in Nashville because of the pandemic and because of it being a hot. You can argue all that if you want. Go for it. But that does not change the facts of the case, which are he knew the rules. These are not new rules. These rules have been in place since Nations League. I was in Denver. I, I know that they had they, the team is supposed to quarantine and stay together in a bubble, not supposed to go out, not supposed to do any of that to try to limit the team's exposure because you don't want an outbreak. Even though, you know, even even vaccinated, you know, you can still get COVID. So you have to try to limit your exposure. So the whole point of the bubble. He broke that. Knowing the rules, he broke that. He broke the rules twice. He broke two rules. Now I'm not going to sit here and try to make him out to be public enemy number one. He is not the first athlete to party in Nashville, to go out in Nashville, to bring somebody back to the hotel in Nashville. Not even the first U.S. soccer player to do that. I know that for a fact. Going back, a, going back in years, going back years. But obviously, it's different. It's it's even different, more different now because of the pandemic and because of everything that's in place. Because of the risks at play, now this does not make Weston McKinney an evil person, a bad person. Obviously, I get that some people are angry, and some people are are done with him. I think it was Landon Donovan who was already like, "Oh, this is like you know," but the relationship might be beyond repair. Uh, I'm sorry, he he he'll be fine. It's something to learn from this, and I know people will point to the fact that he did some. You know, he had a similar somewhat similar situation Juventus he had a house party that violated covid protocols in Italy and he was suspended for a match uh, you know he had he had a couple of teammates over i'm pretty sure Paulo Dybala was one of them they had like 20 guests at a house they had a house party we know he's not the only soccer player to do that during the pandemic i'm pretty sure in England we had there, there were incidents and it doesn't make it right but it's it can happen it happens So that's two times not the best judgment from Weston McKinney. Now this, it it, it might not make him public enemy number one, doesn't make him a super villain. But it does call into question his judgment. And it does call into question his status as a leader on this team. And he has been a leader on this team. He's a big personality. If you've never if you've ever been around, if you've never been around Weston McKinney he he just has kind of a magnetic personality he is super outgoing super confident people gravitate toward him and and so he has qualities that you would look for in a leader right but does he have the temperament does he have the judgment I mean for me Tyler Adams is the closest you get to being a captain in terms of all of the pieces terms of the talent temperament uh you know just the the attitude he he has the attitude of a captain John Brooks is another one who for me he should be a captain the captain or he should be in the conversation to be a captain Christian Ballistic's been wearing the armband he's the best player a lot of players respect him look up to him because he's the best player or because he's the most accomplished player at this point but is he a leader that that's where you know some people may have looked at McKinney as a leader, but you can't have someone be a leader on the team when he has that kind of poor judgment. So that's where it's silly to think that anyone would suggest that he should not have a role on the team anymore. He be back. He'll be back. I mean, you listen to Greg Berhalter. You know, Greg Burhalter tries to put it in perspective why he had to make the decision made, but also why. We shouldn't expect this to be the last we're going to see of McKinney with the U.S. Men's National
0: Team. When you talk about, um, you know, team policies and and team rules and um, what we're trying to accomplish as a team, the team absolutely comes first. And we made this decision, um, you know, not only for the short term, but for the long term health of the program. And it's not an easy decision. Trust me, um, countless coaches are faced with decisions where, you know, they have to take talented players out of the lineup for some reason or another. But we did it um, for what we think is, is the good of the group and good of the team. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Well, obviously, we're going to be mess- missing Weston for Wednesday. Um, but it doesn't rule him out for the future. But we know we're going to be without him on Wednesday.
2: Now, moving on to the moment of truth, the matchup that will determine whether September is a modest success or a complete disaster. It's There's no really in-between. Although there technically would be an in-between, but no one wants the in-between either. U.S. Honduras. The U.S. is in Honduras. They're in San Pedro Sula to take on Honduras. A Honduras team that also has two draws from their first two matches also went to El Salvador and played a goalless draw. Although in their case, the electricity went out. And they also were resting their almost their entire starting lineup. Fabian Coito, the... A Honduras coach started a, a a really strong first team, first choice lineup against Canada in the opener. They were able to get a draw in, in Toronto. Then he made nine changes to the lineup that went to El Salvador. And and to and to be clear, Honduras did not play well. It wasn't a great game all around. It was a mess. It was just not a good game. Honduran fans are not happy because much like US fans, Hondurans fans, Honduran fans feel like, hey, we should be go if we go to El Salvador, we should get three points, period. Just like US fans should feel the same way. But the good thing that came out of it for Honduras is that they were able to rest their entire first choice defense. And for the most part, they were able to rest all their defensive midfielders, slash central midfielders that are likely to play. Against the United States So that means A back six Back seven For Honduras Is going to be fully rested And Honduras is tough enough To break down as it is Need I remind anybody Of the Nations League Where it took a Late Jordan Pifat goal To give the U.S. a win there So it's uh, It's not going to be easy For this U.S. team Honduras is rested They're at home The one bit of good news is that it's a night game. It's actually a late night game. It's like 10.05 p.m. kickoff. Might even be later than that. It's very late. And by the way, that's on Paramount+. Plus. So if you haven't yet already signed up for Paramount+, Plus, you might want to do that. And if you haven't signed up yet and you need a promo code, I might have one for you. You might want to check SBI on on Wednesday. I'm I'm still efforting to get that set up. So you might want to look out for that. Maybe I'll throw it up on Twitter uh, on Wednesday as well. But. Honduras is rested, Honduras will be at home, and they're going to be determined to beat the United States. And the question now is, what is Berhalter going to do to combat that, to combat the fact that Honduras is going to be the more rested team? Does he sit the players who have played, who have started in both games so far? And the three players in question are Tyler Adams, Miles Robinson, and Brendan Aronson. Do you play all three? Do you start all three? Or do you consider sitting one or all of them? One, two, or three of them? Personally, I don't see how you sit a Tyler Adams. And and as far as Miles Robinson goes, if he's healthy, I mean, I, I think he's got the engine to play again. But there is the risk. For me, Tyler Adams, he's he's a warrior, he'll be good to go. He'll play 270 minutes if you need him to. Miles Robinson, you'd like to think similarly. Brendan Aronson's an interesting one because, you know, he, he didn't play the full one hundred and eighty minutes, but I believe it's like 157. He's played a lot, but he plays it red he plays in the Red Bull system, he plays in Salzburg, they high press, he's super fit. You'd like to think he should be able to be fit enough. To still start, play a role, play do give the pressing that you need up top in your front three in Berhalter's system. So it wouldn't shock me, actually, if he started all three of them. And I know some people say, wait, that's super risky, especially against a rested team. I agree. It is risky. But the alternatives are not necessarily without risk. Mark McKenzie looked good against Honduras in the Nations League. He helped them. Post a shutout against Honduras in the Nations League. But he has not been playing for his club team. Not much at all. And he can't can't be fully fit. He can't be fully sharp. So there is risk there. But he's rested. So that's why, in theory, he could play. But then you also have James Sands. Who I think is actually a very good option to start. But not in a 4-3-3. I see him starting in what I think the U.S. should do. And should deploy is a 5-4-1, at least to start the match. And that's the big question. Because when it comes down to it, the U.S. roster has a handful of defenders that have not played a minute. James Sands hasn't played a minute. Mark McKenzie hasn't played a minute. uh, Walker Zimmerman has not played a minute. So when you consider the injuries that have cut into the, the attacking options... And then you have the defenders who haven't played. What's the best way to get some fresh legs into your lineup and to avoid being too fatigued as a group? For me, it's putting in a defender, putting in James Sands. So if you're asking me what lineup and formation would I use to go against Honduras and knowing what they can do and how they can challenge and threaten you. I say 5 four, one, And I go John uh, John Brooks. James Sands, Miles Robinson is your three center backs. Anthony Robinson is your left wing back. Kellen Acosta as your right wing back. And then in the midfield, I would go Sebastian Lejet and Christian Roldan. And I know some, I know the the obviously the and the the not the people who aren't huge fans of MLS. The people who aren't huge fans of MLS players in general are gonna say, no, I don't want any part of Christian Roldan. Give me Aronson, give me Connor Del Fuente. I don't want Roldan. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Christian Roldan is not going to have a problem going down to San Pedro Sula and playing a game. Playing in that tough environment, playing against the players that he's going to have to go up against like a Davy Flores, like a Brian Acosta, like a Kevin Ariaga. He's played he trust me, Christian Roldan has played against Davy, I'm pretty sure he's played against Davy Flores. I know he's played against Brian Acosta. If that's who starts for Honduras. So I like the idea of, of Roldan with his fresh legs and with his big game experience. The guy has played in, I don't know how many MLS Cups, how many big playoff games. You can say what you want about he, uh, him not doing enough with the opportunities he's gotten. But we're talking about right now, we're talking about what's available. We're talking about what you need. And you need people to battle. Especially in the midfield, you're going to need people to battle in the midfield. And I know the I know some people will say, well, why don't you just play Aronson centrally, play Conrad De La Fuente forward? Well, two things. Number one, we saw Aronson play centrally against El Salvador in struggle. He does better in space, or he can do better in space and in this game, where Honduras is clearly going to congest the middle. Why are you going to put Aronson in there? Where he just isn't going to have room to operate. Play him up top, where he'll have room to operate and attack. And also, more importantly, press, because pressing is what he does very well. He, you know, his defensive effort led to the turnover that led to his goal. He started the sequence and he finished the sequence. So that's what he can do in that forward role. Can, Conrad del does can give you some good things, no question. He's a perfect option off the bench, and I think that's what he'll do. Ultras to actually use subs though and a little earlier, which I think he will. Hopefully he learned the lesson because clearly he waited way too long. He can't wait until the 83rd minute to do a triple sub in a match that does not have extra time. It's one thing if it's extra time, if it's extra time, then you know, look, they're going to get the seven and then they're going to get the 30 after the seven. If it, if there's not a late goal. So that's different than in a regular, you know, in a qualifier where it's just seven minutes. So, you know, I'll, I'll be right there online for the people who want to criticize Greg Berhalter for his timing of his lineups. And he I think he was a little frozen there. And he even said it himself, he was waiting to see how things were developing. Waiting to see who would be the players to come out. And I'm sorry he needed to make that decision sooner. And hopefully that's a lesson that he learns and takes on now to the next game. And in the Honduras game, it, like for me, the game plan is simple. You go 5-4-1, you have Jane and the, the, the beauty of the systems that the U.S. have played and the options that they have in their, in their, in, on their bench right now, in their squad right now, is you have some versatile players that can help you deploy systems that can morph into various systems because you can go 5 four, one, but if you have James Sands as your middle center back, Kellen Acosta as your right wing back, guess what? Kellen Acosta can slide into the middle, Miles Robinson can slide out wide. James Robinson, James Robinson, that's a whole new player now. James Sands can slide up into the midfield, as we saw in the Gold Cup. So you have that variation just in with the same lineup you can mix and match. You can go 5-4-1, you can morph into 4-3-3. Three, three. And that's why I like that lineup, because of what Acosta can do and what Sands can do. And Sands has not played yet, and Acosta has has he started one match, so I think that's the best bet I really do I really think that's the best bet now. I have another question for burlalter is the surprise at the fact that they did not call in any attacking players as replacements and it's all well and good if you don't think that you could bring someone in who's fit enough uh has enough experience to make an impact. Over what you already have. I get that, but still, Jackson Ewell to be the only replacement was a shock, to say the least. I mean, Cade Cow is right there with the same team. You couldn't sneak him in the in Jackson Ewell's luggage. I mean, nah, he's, he's a big dude, probably wouldn't fit, but still. I mean, Georgie Mihailovic. Uh, you name there's you know, DK, obviously, even though striker's not the position they necessarily need. Although some people disagree with that. Uh, Jesus Ferreira. Cole Bassett. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's players. Cade, uh, not Cade, Cade and Clark. Like, you couldn't call in anybody? I don't know. One attacking player. But look, to Berhalter's credit, he was asked about it. And he did try to address the, the obstacles, the hurdles that get in the way. Or the, that have gotten in the way of them being able to call in attacking reinforcements.
0: There's a number of different constraints that we have. One of them is time difference, right? If you're going to bring European guys, one is is COVID testing. One is, you know, the where the guys at, where the guys are at in their seasons. You know, Matthew's, uh, Matthew Hoppy is a player we'd love to have in camp right now. He just made a transfer to Mallorca, and it's complicated to get him over here just because of you know he's trying to break into the team, he's trying to win a starting position. He's not fully fit. He's coming from preseason. You know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always reasons we are. And then the other thing you can talk about is injuries, right? Paul Areola, would like to get him in. Jossie Zardes, would like to get him in. It's not possible because they're injured. So a number of, of different reasons why. Reggie Cannon's not playing at Boa Vista. He's not fully fit. He's still recovering from a, uh, that out, outside hamstring injury. You know, Brian Reynolds is trying to break into the team at Roma. So there's always little reasons why we can't. It's not that we haven't looked into it though.
2: So what should we expect from this U.S.-Honduras match? Uh, I'll tell you what. Honduras is going to come out with a four-man back line. Diego Rodriguez left back, Mena Figueroa, Marcelo Pereira in the center backs. And then Andy Nahar, most likely at right back. And Andy Nahar, for those who haven't been paying attention, is enjoying a career renaissance. He's been one of, if not, DC United's best player this season. He's been outstanding. And... He's obviously evolved into a bit more of a defensive player along the defensive line, but still bringing his attacking qualities to the defensive line. And now he's playing right back for Honduras, and he can just really be a serious threat there. And guess who he goes up against? Christian Pulisic. Pulisic versus Nahar. That one should be fun. Because not only will Nahar have to defend, but he'll also force Pulisic to help defend. As he tries to go at. Potentially Anthony Robinson, but I think that's going to be a great matchup. Then you also potentially have Romel Kyoto, the Honduran's forward, uh, against Miles Robinson. If, uh, as some expect, Romel Kyoto might be deployed in the center forward role, you, I know, with his speed, he's usually a second forward, he can play out wide, but as we saw in the Nations League. Fabian Coito, the Honduras coach, tried to go with a speed option right up top. He put Albert Elise up top, in theory, to try to get him matched up against John Brooks with the speed difference, because John Brooks does not do well isolated against speedy players. It's just not his thing. But guess what? The U.S. has Miles Robinson, who is an absolute lockdown defender. And I'm going to take... I got to say, I like Miles Robinson chances... Of containing Romelu Kioto. even a tired Miles Robinson. but still that should be a fun matchup. Uh, then you have uh, obviously Choco Lozano and Anthony Lozano, who's arguably Honduras' best player. Now whether he plays as a forward, as whether he plays as a center forward, whether he plays up wide left, whoever gets matched up with him, that's a big matchup. Because if he's on the left and is up against Costa playing as a right wing back, or even DeAndre Yedlin playing as a right wing back, whoever has the assignment of trying to contain. Choco Lozano, that's going to be a big matchup, and that's going to be a big role for whoever takes it on. So I think those are some good matchups to watch. And obviously, when you talk about Davy Flores and Curvin Ariaga, two tough tackling, athletic, dynamic central midfielders, there's a challenge there. Sebastian Lejet and Tyler Adams going up against that—that's going to be a good battle for me. If that's the if that's the pairings, because obviously this is kind of assuming at this point that we'll see a 5-2-3 some kind of 5-2-3/5-4-1 but if we see a you know a traditional 4-3-3 then it gets to be a little different and that's where in theory Honduras could end up with a numerical edge in, in central midfield so that's why that's another reason i think uh Berhalter should consider playing a 5-4-1/5-2-3 uh, but yeah, no, there's so many good matchups across the across the field. I mean, Ed striker, Josh Sargent against Minor Figueroa. Minor Figueroa's he's got like nine thousand caps. He's uh, he's been around. He's been around a long time. And even though he's not playing regularly for the Houston Dynamo, he's still a force for the uh, for the national team. But he has he's vulnerable. He's a, you know he's not the fastest anymore. He's not the player he used to be. And Josh Sargent, we've been waiting for Josh Sargent for how long now to kind of you know get going, start finding the goals. This is going to be the chance for him to do that, I think. Although, I could also see Jordan Pifat getting the chance, getting another chance. I know some people are saying, wait a minute, what about Ricardo Pepe? We've seen these other guys, they didn't get it done, they didn't score, go with Pepe, it's Pepe time. I get it, folks, but no, not yet. I do see him coming off the bench, though. I mean, I think in an ideal scenario, you go up to the 65th minute, all out pressing, and then you make your subs in the 65th minute. 60th, 65th minute, you bring in Conrad De La Fuente, you bring in Ricardo Pepe potentially, or even Jordan Pifak, or both. Maybe you go two forwards, second half. But you'll have that energy. You still have options. I know people, look, Jay obviously you lose your most creative player. That's a big blow. But there's still talent on his team to, to, to make some things happen. So we'll see. We'll see what uh, what direction Greg Berhalter goes. 4 Whatever the case, Honduras is going to be a challenge. And I think it's great. It, luckily for the U.S., the game's at night, and it won't be as hot as it has been in the past. I still remember 2013, how hot it was. It was a blazer, blazing hot. I've been down to Honduras, I want to say, three times. I w- obviously not there this time around, because I'm here working with CBS Sports in New York. But if t- they're playing at night, so it won't be as hot, it's still going to be humid. There's still going to be a great atmosphere. They're going to—I ha- don't know what the capacity is or how many they're allowing, what percentage because of the the pandemic. But just seeing some of the images, some of the video, the stadium looks like it's gotten a nice little makeover from the last time I was there. So, uh, you know, if they can fill that place, I, I mean, I still remember being there. I still remember going to games there where, yes, they bring—they let the people in early. I don't know how early they're going to they're going to let people in this time around, but I mean I know I heard was was it in El Salvador that it was like 8 8 hours early. Cuz they probably have to check everybody for COVID, so that takes time. And I don't know if that's what's happening in Honduras, but I'm pretty sure it's an, uh, What I do remember from my past trips of to Honduras is that they, you know, they the government makes it a national holiday. They make Honduras match uh World Cup qualifying match days national holidays. And how amazing does that sound, right? I mean as a soccer fan in America, that's like the dream. You'd love that. That never that wouldn't have happened, but it's still it's a great idea. Just give, gives the Hondurans that much more of a chance to fill their stadium, so it's going to be great. It's going to be a great environment. I, I'll be. I, I wish I was there. I, wish I was just going to be there, but it's going to be a great environment. My man Paul Tenorio is down there. His first World Cup qualifier on the road. I was a little surprised by that when I saw that. It's kind of crazy. You, I would have thought he would have been down to one by now, but I guess it's been a few years now since then and before he became the rock star that he is now, leading. Uh, the Athletic Avengers, the uh, the big time staff that they have there with Stamkoschkal and and the crew over there at the Athletic, but uh, it should be a great atmosphere. Honduras is going to bring it, and you know, just doing all the research I've done on this team, it's this is going to be a this is going to be a tough Honduras team, tough, but not just amazingly overwhelming, world beating type team. This is a team that can be beaten. To be clear. I mean, this is gonna look a lot like the team that the US beat in Nations League. I mean, you're talking seven or eight starters from the Nations League that are probably gonna start in this game. So the US should not be intimidated. They have played these guys, they've beaten these guys for the most part. And that's they beat them with Albert Elise, their best player. Albert Elise is not there this time around. He he completed a uh he completed a loan deal. Uh to France uh, during the window, just at the end of the window, so he's dealing with that. So he missed. It, which for me, I'm sorry, I get it. Like you just made a move, but this is World Cup qualifying. You you come to World Cup qualifying, like period. Like I'm sorry, I don't know. Nothing get all worked up about Albert Elise, but still, like that uh, for me, that's a little surprising. You're trying to get Honduras to a, a World Cup, like f- deal with that other stuff later. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Point back to the point. Honduras had Elise and couldn't score on the U.S. Now they don't have lease. But to be clear, Honduras is very much a team that plays better than the sum of their parts. Because it's not like, I mean, when you look at the list of clubs that that their team plays at, that the teams where these players are playing and the the levels these players are playing, they're not world beat. This isn't Canada. Canada was a better team, is a better team. But Honduras plays well as a team. And I'll give Fabian Coito credit. I've liked some of the things I've seen from him. And he's, ha- he's had a chance to see the U.S. with the Nations League game. So I am pretty sure he's going to have a very specific game plan uh, and maybe even a surprise or two for the U.S. So it's going to be a challenge, but I tell you what, I like the U.S.'s chances. And I know one of the narratives that's been making the rounds this week is how hard it is to win on the road in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. And it is. It's absolutely hard. I did the, I did the, you know, dug up the stats for since 1998, since the original Hex in 98 to now. Road teams have only won 35 of 188 matches. It's a lot. It's a lot of matches and only 35 wins. The good news for the U.S. fan is eight of those matches. Eight of those wins were won by the United States. The U.S. has won eight of the 35. They have eight of the 35 wins. And two of those eight wins have come in San Pedro Sula. First was in 2001. Clint Mathis with the late game winner. Free kick beauty. I still remember that. It's crazy. It was 20 years ago. In 2009, Connor Casey with the brace. So it's been done. American teams have gone down to San Pedro Sula before and won matches. Twice. They've been down there four times for qualifiers, and they've won twice. They've won half the time they've gone down there. And uh, that's not to say they're going to do it again, but it's to say it can be done. It's not impossible, and I know for the people who are freaking out and have already given up hope, trying to give you some stats. And this U.S. team, as much as they've dropped points, as much as they only have two points from the first two matches, this is still a team that has confidence. This is still a team that won a pair of trophies this summer. This is still a team that even with the distractions of McKinney, the injury of, of Reyna, this is a team that still has some swagger to it. It still has players playing at super high levels. And Pulisic was definitely clear to point that out and to remind us that, yes, this team is, is uh, you know, this team has got some confidence. So I won't bother with a prediction. I just will say I think the U.S. can win. Obviously they could lose, but I, I, I actually like their chances to win this game. I As I tend to say, I'd I like to rather see the lineup before I make a prediction, just to see what the coach is thinking, to see what both teams are setting up. And then when I see the lineups, I can say, okay, look, based on these lineups, this is what I see happening. So Alter goes with a standard four three three, plays all the guys who've been having all the minutes. He could set himself up and set his team up for a fall because they could very easily be outplayed by a team that's just fresher and has fresher legs. But, if he just changes some things up, puts in some fresh legs, they absolutely can win. Because I think Pulisic is, is ready to go. I think he's going to bring it. I think Brendan Aronson, coming off of his great game against... Because I thought he, he he and Pulisic were probably, for my money, the two best players for the U.S. I think he could do well down there. And I actually think Christian Roldan, if he starts, could do well there. Sebastian Legette can do well there. Let's not forget, Sebastian Jet. His one goal in qualifying, he scored against Honduras. I know it was in San Jose, but still. He has scored against Honduras, and guess what? He, need, it, he needs a little payback against Honduras. I mean, I know he's faced them already. He faced them in Nations League, but still. Considering what they did to his leg and cost him a year of his, of his you know, he didn't, didn't get to play the rest of that, that whole cycle. He should want to burn them any chance he gets and every chance he gets. So maybe we'll see a Sebastian Lejet revenge goal. How about that? Maybe that can happen. Point is, I think they can get it done. I think they can get it done, and I think they do get it done. Could it just be a draw? Could they settle for a draw? Absolutely. And if it's a draw, then, then obviously people are not going to be happy, but it means you're kind of in the pack. In, a, in what is a very long race, you will be in, in the middle of the pack. You won't be in a top three spot. But you'll be in the middle of the pack. You'll be right there. And in theory, come October, hopefully things get worked out with McKinney. Hopefully you have a healthy Giorena, And maybe some other players will then have settled with their clubs, like Matthew Hoppy, Gianluca Busio. You'll have more options. Maybe Julian Green by then will have done enough to convince uh, uh, Greg Berhalter to give him a look. So if they get a draw, it's not... It would. I'm not saying anyone should be happy, but it would be... It would be three points from three and it would more than likely be in it would you wouldn't be near the bottom you'd be in the middle of the pack, but obviously you want the win you want the win because of what that does for you because then you're on five points you're i i mean i don't i'm pretty sure you're probably in the top three with a win five points you're probably in the top three going coming out of september so I think that's the best case i mean that's obviously the best case scenario at this point, but I think they can do it. And I think they're feeling pretty confident as much as on the outside, we're all looking at this and saying, man, disappointing results, struggling to create chances, distractions, suspensions, injuries, you name it, it's happening. It's all bad. How are these players not freaking out? And it was funny because I, one of the, somebody asked, I think it was Polisic that asked them about, you know, his his emotional state, (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, as if, you know, he, because fans are processing this in such a, Disastrous way Or for some fans anyway Some fans are freaking out Like people assume Like players are freaking out In the same way And it's like no That's not They're not They're not processing it The same way Not even close So hopefully the US Can turn that confidence Into uh, You know Execution Production Chances Goals It's not going to be easy Because Honduras's defense Is going to be organized They're not going to Give much away so the U.S. has to finish its chances. talking to you, Just Sargent. I'm talking to you, Jordan Peefock. I'm talking to you, Christian Pulisic. You will find chances. You will get chances. Your expected goals will not be zero. It will not be point .1. It will not be point .2. You will find chances, but you have to finish them. And that's going to really determine the game. But I think that's it. You know, I could talk MLS, but look, it's the international break. Okay, I'm sorry, MLS. Why are you having games during the international break? It's all about the international break. It's all about the U.S. national team. It's all about qualifying. I don't want to talk MLS on this episode, so I'm sorry. We're taking a break on that. Next episode, I promise. I'll catch us up on MLS. I'll preview the weekend ahead, but this episode, I'm, I'm sticking with the U.S. men's national team because that's what it's about right now. This is what matters more than anything. And I think we've covered everything there is to cover. I think that's it thank you for listening for sure and you know what i know there's plenty of reason for people to be nervous and i'm not here to say don't be nervous i'm not here saying you're silly for being nervous no definitely not i wouldn't say that i would never say that be nervous that's shows you're alive but there are reasons to believe that they can win There are reasons to believe that your team is going to win. So we'll see if they get it done. But I think that's it. That's all for now. Make sure, again, CBS Sports Network slash Paramount Plus. U.S. Honduras is on Paramount Plus, so you got to watch it there. Unless you watch it in Spanish. You can watch it in Spanish if you want. But Paramount Plus, you won't see me on camera, but I'll be milling about behind the scenes. But that's it That's all for now And make sure you check out SBI I'll, I'll have some stuff on there I had some stuff on there on Tuesday Hopefully on Wednesday I'll have some more To preview Because I have a, My brain is f- overflowing With CONCACAF info US Honduras info And I'll try to put as much Of it out there as I can But that's all for now I'm Ivis This is The SBI Show